0: Coach Gene Clemens of Giants Country joins us on today's podcast to talk about where the Giants are and where they need to be. That's coming up next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giants fans, and welcome to another edition of the Luckland Giants podcast, part of the Luckland Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Traynor here with you, and thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. And joining me today, you probably recognize this gentleman. This is Coach Gene Clemens. He was with me a couple of weeks ago to discuss the New York Giants, and he's back with me. And we're going to talk about the Giants at the midway point of the season. Gene, thanks so much for taking the time to come on with me.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to talk um, football, especially a good thing to talk after a win. So yes, always yes. a better conversation after a win.
0: Absolutely. And Gene, let's kind of bring everybody up to speed on what we have seen from this giant team through the first like nine games. I mean, kind of a, a slow start, a little bit of a stop start type of thing, but Overall, do you feel that this giant team has kind of gotten over that hump of that slow start, or do we still not know what this team is all about?
1: I think it's I think it's so it's so incredibly difficult to understand what a team is when you haven't really seen it fully intact. Um, if it's if I think the one thing we've seen is we started off the year with this is what we think we're going to have. We were immediately met with injuries. Then it kind of leveled out a little bit, and then more injuries popped up. Um, and, and so it's just been a constant kind of shell game with how are we going to how are we going to deploy these assets that we have in order to give ourselves the best opportunity um, to win. I think what we have, what we can definitively say is. This defense is starting to return to the form that we saw last season, oddly enough, around this same time of year. Last year, they started off struggling. People said, oh, my God, what's going on? The pass rush, James Bradbury, blah, blah, blah. And now and then they started to get it together. And everybody was like, oh, well, you know, this defense isn't bad. This year, we're seeing the same thing where the defense is starting to click. They're starting to understand their roles. Um, losing a middle linebacker like Blake Martinez never makes anything easy when you have to, you know, replace him. And so as everybody is, um, everybody is, is starting to learn their roles and learn what they're going to be doing. I think that's let the defense solidify more. Still super amounts of questions on offense. Um, yep. I can't really say there's an identity there yet.
0: All right, let's 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 stay with the defense then. You, you mentioned, you know, they're starting to click together. You know, obviously coaches will say that it starts with the run, you know, stopping the run and losing. And we talked about this before, losing Dalvin Tomlinson, who was filling those A-gaps, and then Martinez able to flow in. What have they done differently to kind of, you know, tighten that chip up a little bit? And how much is that hurting the pass the uh, pass defense, because, you know, I look at Tate Crowder, I see a guy who I think would be fine against the pass, but against the run, not so much so. So what have they, what adjustments has Patrick Graham made on defense these last couple of weeks to get him playing better?
1: I I think you've seen them be more diligent about getting guys to the line of scrimmage, Um, especially, especially from the secondary, Um, you know, Jabril Peppers going down was a, was another hit. To the defense because he's a he's a guy in the secondary that they've used a lot to play those those kind of hybrid nickel packages where he's essentially operating as a linebacker. So they've done a good job of playing, um, you know, Zay um, Zay McKinney more at the at the at the second at the second level, allowing him to be more of a playmaker like he was at the um, University of Alabama, and and I think that's helped the defensive line have just started playing better. I mean, there's really no other way of saying it. They've made a a more conscious effort to be sound against the run, which when those guys, and we know how talented those guys are up front, when those guys are locked in up front, they do a great job of allowing those linebackers to run and make tackles. And I think that's what we've seen these last couple of weeks, a, a more concerted effort to get back to being disciplined in the run game, not necessarily about, Doing things differently, but really just more about doing what they know they're capable of doing because they have that talent.
0: Now, in the defensive secondary, one of the things they've been doing of late, which I find is kind of interesting, is having James Bradbury sometimes match up against the tight end. The tight end is traditionally not as fast as a receiver. I think we all know that Bradbury sometimes has trouble with some of the really fast guys. I mean, what do you think of that move and what else have you seen from the defensive secondary that's helped them kind of tighten things up a little bit back there?
1: I think you also have to consider the tight ends that they've, that they have faced in the last few weeks. You've got a guy like Travis Kelsey, who's a, dy- a dynamic tight end. You've got a guy like Darren Waller um, who was one of my keys to, to victory, shutting him down. They did a great job of keeping him um, under control. Um, Bradbury, Bradbury matching up with those types of guys with his size and his physicality only makes sense if you remember back when New England used to use a keep to leave in the same type of way. Um, and and knowing that this defense has roots and tentacles that that go all the way back to those New England Patriots style of defenses, um, I think it makes sense that you see that happening more. Um, I, I really think, though, Unleashing unleashing Zay McKinney in the secondary, allowing him to be more more of a of a free flower and not so much of a of a I need to be in this one particular place at this one particular time, allows him to to be able to diagnose offenses, read what's going on, and then react and, and be who he's been his entire football career. Sometimes when we get guys and we lock them into a box and we tell them you have to do this one particular thing, that's not necessarily the the best recipe for success for those guys because they see the game just at a level that maybe we, even as coaches, don't see it sometimes. And so we have to give those players the autonomy to to do what they feel is in the best interest within the framework of the overall defense. And I think that's what um, Patrick Graham and and this defensive coaching staff has done. They've empowered these players to be able to make decisions On the fly, that might that might that they may not have been doing earlier in the season because they had a structured form that they were looking to go with.
0: Now, we'll talk about things to change coming up in a little bit, but I want to talk about Quincy Roche, who is a guy that has quietly earned more and more snaps, more and more responsibilities. This past weekend, he was active, O'Shane Zimenez was not. Um, They also brought up Trent Harris to kind of boost up that pass rush, but let's focus on Roche. What did you see from his game? What do you like about his game, and how does he fit in this defense?
1: Well, I mean, he's a he, he's 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 in the mode of a lot of of the outside linebackers that we have right now. Those tweener is he is he a guy who can play in space and cover? Is he just simply an edge rusher? I think what you get with him is you get the the same type of rusher as an Aziz Ojolari, which is. An, a, a true edge rusher that may be a little bit undersized. Um, and that allows a guy like, you know, Lorenzo Carter, who has the ability to be not only just a rusher, but a great guy against the run to go back to doing what he does best, which is not really focusing on being a rusher, but just focusing on being a good football player. And, and I think, I think um, the same thing can be said for Leonard Williams. Um, a lot of times we get so caught up in the sacks and, and the lack of sacks from those guys that we forget that their, their talent isn't in just doing one thing well. Their talent is being an all-around football player. And so those guys being able to just be football players um, allows a guy like Roche to be able to focus on simply pass rushing. You come in, it's third and long, it's second and long. Go after the quarterback, do what you do best. Flush those quarterbacks to these other guys who we know will be there to help and make plays.
0: It's interesting because uh, I I never thought of it where, you know, maybe Lorenzo Carter was maybe taking on a little bit more because of the guy on the other side. That's a good point that you bring up. And it's also possibly how, you know, to answer the question of why Leonard Williams isn't, you know, at at halfway to 11 and a half sacks this year. So that was a a pretty astute observation as always uh, from you.
1: Well, thank you. I, I think, I think sometimes we just, We want something for players that maybe is not what that player is actually supposed to be doing. Um, I I feel the same way about, um, you know, know, defensive ends that we see that have been high picks. If they're not all, you know, dominant double digit pass rushers, people look at them as if they're, um, as if they're failures, as if they're not good football players, but sometimes they're just really good football players and they're not, pass rush specialists. That's not what they do. So um, I think that's the case with with, with the defensive linemen and some of the linebackers that we have um, here in in New York. And so when you add in those guys who are just adept at passing, at at rushing the passer, and you can keep those guys fresh, it really can make a big difference in the pass rush. And we've seen it over the last few weeks, even before, um, you know, Roche came in, we started to see an uptick in in the pass in in the pass rushing numbers the pressures on the quarterback and in the sack numbers
0: Hey Giant fans if you do a lot of driving like I do then you need to know about a fantastic new app called Get Upside when you open an account on Get Upside you can get up to 25 cents per gallon back every time you fill up at the pump Get Upside makes it easy to save on your gasoline and they give you multiple cash out options such as direct payment to your bank account, PayPal, Amazon gift cards, and more. Anytime you want to cash out, open an account today and use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents off per gallon on your first fill up when you open an account at GetUpside. Download the free app and uh, sign up for your account. Use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN. And start saving every time you fill up at the pump. That's Get Upside available at the iTunes Store and on Google Play. Get Upside and use that promo code Touchdown for fifty cents off per gallon on your first fill up. Now let's flip over to the offensive side because that to me is the bigger question mark. This is still an enigma. You mentioned that we don't know what this offense, what their identity is. Is that because of the injury? Is that because Jason Garrett just can't figure it out? Is it a combination of stuff? And what can this offense be if they get everybody back
1: well i, I'm, I know I'm in the minority, um, but I don't think it's because it's because Jason Garrett can't figure it out. I think any offensive coordinator would be struggling right now, given the circumstances that he's been dealt as an offensive coordinator it is It is concerning. Um, that this offense isn't able to put more points on the board, considering they find themselves in striking distance a lot, and so um, I think it really comes down to personnel. What we what we are missing, what we seem to be missing from this offense, is the ability to explode at any time. It's not the it's not the um every single every single down being able to move the ball because I think. I think for the most part, Garrett does a good job of game planning. And You can see that in the opening drives. Usually, those scripted drives end up in a field goal, not really in touchdowns, more in field goals. But I also think that that has to do with the aggressiveness of, of, of this offense. Like, how aggressive are they, are they being? How aggressive are they being told to be? Because that all comes from the head coach down. So when, we, when they get into those situations of a third and one or a fourth and short, when, when, they're, when they're past the 40-yard line, are they just saying, hey, that's an automatic field goal? Or are they giving them the opportunity to pick up that first down? If we look around the league, you're seeing more and more teams on fourth and two and fourth and three and fourth and one decide we're just going to go for it because our offense should be able to pick up two to three yards as opposed to kicking a field goal. But when you've had a guy as automatic as Graham ganoa has been, it's kind of hard to turn down those, those three points. The, the thing I would look at is I would look in Baltimore where they have the best kicker possibly of all time, and they still go forward on fourth down when they're in field goal range. That's the level of aggressiveness that brings up the excitement level of your offense and can really make a difference between three points and seven points. And if, if people have read anything that I've written about this offense. It's the need to keep the kicker on the sideline more often and allow him to kick extra points and not field goals.
0: Indeed. Now, let me ask you, stay in with Garrett for a second here. Some people have argued, and this is just my observation for what it's worth. It's great with the opening drive because, you know, that's scripted, but once that script runs out a little bit and we saw this last this past week against the Raiders they were doing a lot of heavy personnel, 23, 13 personnel. They got away from that. And then they went back to it later in the game. Is that just a matter of the, the game dictating that he do that? Or is that just Garrett saying, okay, you know what? Now you guys know that I'm going to use heavy packages. So I'm going to mix it up a little bit. What do you think behind that?
1: I think it's exactly, it's, it's the latter. I think he sees them make the adjustments to what they're seeing and go, okay, now it's time for me to move the other chess piece. But, but the thing about football sometimes is that if you're just having success doing it, make them stop it consistently before you decide you're going to make the adjustment. If you notice, they didn't get away from the running game um, last week, and that running game continued to, to bear dividend down the stretch. Now, screen passes to fullbacks, don't exactly know if i'm if i'm down for that when you've got dynamic playmakers that can you know probably do a little bit more with the ball but you have to you have to respect that at least in that particular case booker had it rolling he was doing well all all game they continued to feed him the ball and we haven't necessarily seen that in some weeks past because i believe he's felt like he's had to keep switching it up so that people can't get a bead on what he's doing and, you know, while that might be good in theory, if you've got Saquon Barkley back there, you're continuing to run the ball. So you should treat it the same way when you have Booker on um, back there as well.
0: Now, you speaking of Saquon, there's a chance that he might be back for the Monday night game coming up in a couple of weeks against Tampa. We've seen what Booker brings to the table. If you're the coaching staff, do you maybe divide up the workload between Barkley and Booker a little bit more than what it's been just if for no other reason to keep Saquon on the field, because I mean, injuries have been a problem with him and I'm concerned that all these lower body injuries are going to take their toll on his explosiveness and change of direction. I
1: I would say in a, in a perfect world. Yes. But the problem is, is that it's not like Saquon's got a bunch of little injuries, (laughs) He blew his knee out, and then he got his ankle snapped in half. Like, there's not exactly, you know, a pulled hamstring or a, a quad bruise or something like that. These are legitimate major injuries that he's had. When you have injuries like that, I don't believe that that becomes a wear and tear type of situation. I think that's just bad luck. I mean, he stepped on a guy's foot or a guy stepped on his foot, however it happened. Like, that's a fluke injury. So I don't know if I would necessarily take him off the field because of that because what I what I believe was the problem early on is that they were trying to manage his they were trying to manage his snaps so much that they never really gave him an opportunity to catch a rhythm and you can see before the injury he was getting more carries, he was getting more touches, he started to get more of a rhythm and looked like the Saquon of 2 years ago. And so to me if he's healthy I'm playing him and I'm playing him like he's healthy, but I'm not playing him until he's healthy. So if he's telling me, hey, I'm 85% to go, no, I want, I'm going to keep Booker in here. We'll let Booker roll. We'll continue to do what we're doing. I want you, I want you to get to as close as hundred percent as you can get before we put you back out there, because I believe that's what causes injuries compensation for injuries that have, that have happened that haven't fully healed yet. And so if he can avoid that, I think that'll be better. And then he could resume being a Saquon that we all love to watch.
0: Yeah, good point there. And I know that was a problem a few years ago with Victor Cruz when he was compensating for his injury. And we all know what happened there. Let's turn to Daniel Jones, because that remains a big question mark. A lot of people say that the Giants still don't know what they have in Daniel Jones because you know, one week he looks great. The next week he's a game manager. The next week he doesn't look so great. Then he goes up and down, up and down. A quarterback's progress is never linear. That being said, what are you seeing from Daniel Jones at this point, midway through the season? Is he on the right track? I mean, has he taken enough of a leap forward or shown that he's he's on the right track at least to take that leap forward to answer all those questions once and for all?
1: No. I don't think he's I don't think he's done enough at all to answer those questions. I think I think that we see, and and I, I think that what we see is who he is. Um he has dynamics. He can be dynamic. He also can be erratic. And unfortunately, there's not enough consistency of dynamic to go. When this team is down a running back and a wide receiver and a couple offensive linemen, we can just get a ball to Daniel Jones and allow him to win the game for us. Um, he's not, he's not that he's not Lamar. He's not Lamar Jackson. You know, he's not, he's not um, um, any one of these quarterbacks that you can point to and go, that guy's going to win us by himself is just going to will us to three to four games a year. He's a guy that everything has to be working right for. And the scheme has to be, has to be clicking for him to have success. And if that's the case, that's fine, but you have to have all of the support and cast around him in order to make that work. It has to be a Baker Mayfield situation where you've got two really good running backs. You've got a bunch of wide receivers that are solid. You've got one of the best offensive lines in the game. And so now you can take the pressure off for him to do everything himself. And he can just be a distributor who can also give you those wild plays from time to time. But, but am I, am I ready to sit here as a coach and say, let's invest in, you know, in Daniel Jones for the next four to five years, probably not.
0: And that has nothing to do obviously with the injury situation, which has been, I mean, it's crazy. And I know a lot of teams have injuries. Baltimore has a lot of injuries, So, you know, just, you mentioned things have to be perfect for him. I mean, things are never going to be perfect for a quarterback. Rarely, I would say. So that said, how else can they help him? And when they do base the criteria at the end of the year, they do the evaluation. Are they going to be looking so much at stats? Are they going to be looking more at decision-making? What what do you think is going to be the deciding factor for them to say, okay, yeah, he made enough progress to where we want to continue, or no, we we don't think he's our guy?
1: Well, I I think that, Two things dictate that. Number one, who are you replacing him with? That's always got to be the question. Can you replace him with somebody who is legitimately better than him and can be legitimately better than him for the next, I I tend to not go like 10 years, I think that's ridiculous, for the next three to five years. And if the answer is yes, then I think they move, I think that they make some type of move before they're trying to pay him like he's a top-level quarterback with that, fra- with that extra fifth-year franchise, um, essentially. But not knowing that what's coming in, I think you have to go into next year thinking this guy is going to be the guy. How can we help him be the best version of himself that we can? And, and when everybody's healthy, that's allowing him to distribute quickly to all of these weapons that we now have and, and allow them to do the work, and then he's the curveball because all of a sudden you've given it to Saquon, you've given it to Saquon, you've handed it off to Tony on a jet sweep, and then he pulls it and he goes out the back door for 55 yards. We know that that's something that he can do, and that's some that's a that's a, a way that he can be productive in this offense and dynamic in this offense with his feet. That has to be a part of the game plan forever. That that can't be something that they get away from and go, okay, well. We're going to protect him because he he's our franchise guy for the next 10 years or whatever it is. That's a part of his DNA and who he is, and they have to embrace it. That's a part of it. And with that, there are going to be some times where, like, a few weeks ago, he might get dinged up or he might, you know, go into concussion protocol because he doesn't know how to slide.
0: Right. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, so basically it sounds like they're going to have to pick up that option because next year's quarterback class, from what I understand, is not a very strong class. So
1: it, it's it's not a, it's not a it's not an awful class. It's just a class full of question marks. And do you want to go with the unknown or do you want to go with the known? Now the better question will be: what's this free agent quarterback market looking like? Because you can't you can't tell me that this offense doesn't look better with the distributor like a Teddy Bridgewater on it. You know, so if, if there's a bridgewater available at, at 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 late 20s, early 30s that you can still get to come in, what'll what will be the situation with the Jameis Winston down in New Orleans? He's only signed to a one-year deal. There's there's options out there. Tyrod Taylor with the Buffalo Bills, he just came back from an injury, had a bad game, but he's been a solid quarterback his entire career. They may not be long-term options, but they may be legitimate one to two year stop gaps while you try to look into cultivating somebody new. And that might be the way that they can go because if they're in win now mode and make no mistake about it, they have the assets um, and they have the weapons to win right now. They have a, they have a, they have a GM, they have a head coach and, and an offensive and defensive coordinator that are looking to win right now. There may be an option to do something else. If they don't believe that Daniel Jones is the guy to do it.
0: All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up for you on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, have you checked out Bilt Bar? Available in nine amazing flavors, plus a rotating selection of limited time offerings in nut and nut-free varieties. Bilt Bar is the perfect choice for a low-carb, low-sugar, and a high-protein treat that will satisfy your sweet tooth thanks to its pure milk chocolate covering. Visit BuiltBar.com and get 15% off your first order with the promo code LOCK15. Again, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 at BuiltBar.com for 15% off your first order. All right, Giant fans, we have more to come still on today's show. But first, this episode of the Loft on Giants podcast Is brought to you in part by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, refresh, refuel, recharge, and enjoy an endless supply of delicious French fries and other tasty treats. And it's a place that no matter what your dietary needs are, they're sure to have something. I know every Sunday... And it's a place where no matter what your dietary needs are, you're sure to find something tasty, affordable, and delicious. It's a place where every Saturday I stop in to get an egg McMuffin and a hot beverage to enjoy before I go running around on my week weekly errands. So stop into your local McDonald's today and refuel, reconnect, recharge. McDonald's, I'm loving it. <laughs> All right. Now, Gene, let's talk about the future. The Giants spending this week self-scouting, figuring out what do we have to do better? What do we what can we carry over from your watching them for the first nine games of the season? Where would you start with this group as far as what would, would be a top of your list to, to fix and get, you know, or to change up for the last, you know, eight games or so?
1: I would go back and I would I would definitely clean up our, our past coverage. Um, what are we are we are we a man team are we a zone team if we're going to be a man team do we have the proper personnel out there to be able to, to cover people up you know what's more concerning me with with Bradbury is not necessarily you know his his IQ or whatever you know it may be um, he he does he does have issues with speedsters but it's not like he's just getting blown by my issue is more with the double moves He tends to fall for a lot of double moves. And I think that's because he doesn't want to allow receivers to get separation. Um, In the, in the secondary, in in the, in the back half outside of Zay, um, who's the other safety that you really feel comfortable with locking up on somebody? Um, If that's the case, maybe we shouldn't be a zone team. Maybe we need to, I mean, a man team. Maybe we need to look more into these zone blitzes. Um, How can these linebackers help us other than just being edge rushers right now? My problem is they have a lot of linebackers that are essentially edge rushers. But how many of those guys are adept, like really and legitimately adept at covering? So if they're not adept at covering, if we know, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I know that you're a one-trick pony defensively. It makes it really easy for me to game plan for you. And so I think they need to get back to cleaning up those coverage situations so that people can't pick up those easy yards and so that they don't find themselves getting beat over the top for the big for the big shots.
0: What about on offense? What do you think the priority there needs to be?
1: It has to be it has to be offensive line. It has to be how do we solidify, shore up, get the continuity where we need in this offensive line so that we're not constantly looking at a revolving door of guards and tackles every single week that have to get comfortable with calls and um, with 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 assignments how do we get the continuity there so that when we have our running backs at full strength whether it's Booker in there or whether it's it's Saquon they're able to have a legitimate threat in the, in the running game that we can then employ that play action mm-hmm. passing game that's been so effective for us since we've been without um, a lot of our starting receivers and then um how do we then you know divvy up the receiver count um, because once we have all of these receivers back, we have a bevy of pass catchers and they can't all be on the field at the same time. So how often do we go with the two tight end sets that they've had some success with lately? How often do we go with a three and four wide receiver set? Do we do we have the times when we put both running backs on the field at the same time? Those are some of those things that they're going to they're going to have to figure out. Um, as they as they get all of those guys back healthy and look to make this 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 run down the stretch um, of these last eight games
0: what do you see as the best fit do you you think they're best as an 11 personnel 12 personnel which what do you think should be their base offense
1: I think I think when everybody's healthy you I would probably be 11 personnel Um, I think that um, the what 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 Galladay what Galladay gives you as a legitimate X allows you to then use Shepherd and Tony as that off that off that off the line of scrimmage Z and slot that works at the intermediate levels. Um, you you can then platoon Ingram and Rudolph and and, and really play to their strengths. And then when you go with a four wide receiver set and you bring in a Slayton, or you bring in a Ross, guys who can take the top off, now you're bringing in a guy that stretches the field deep, and now you allow all these other guys to work underneath, including Saquon Barkley, who has receiver skills um, that I believe are on par with, with Christian McCaffrey. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think 11 personnel is probably the personnel that I would employ the most, but I also love putting two tight ends on the field, so it's tough for me. Um, I I think that's always a difficult, a difficult um, personnel grouping because you have a receiver, you have a tight end in Ingram who can operate as a receiver and it gives you some flexibility in how you can formation people.
0: Two more for you, Gene. I got to ask you about the coaching because, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I see a little bit of a regression with this coaching staff with the lack of, you know, aggressiveness, the mismanagement of, of, you know, when to call the timeouts, not so much that they're calling them, but, you know, that they can't get guys lined up. What can this coaching staff as a whole do better to tighten some of that, those issues up?
1: Well, I mean, it, it starts at the top, right? So if, if they say, you know, if the buck stops there, it starts with, it starts with judge and judge has to do a better job of managing the game. Um, I think that starts with knowing when it is that we need to put our foot on the gas and when it is we need to play more conservatively. I believe that all comes from the head coach. Um, he empowers these coordinators to do what they need to do. I think you're starting to see physicality return. I think that that, they, that these teams are playing more physical. We know they haven't given up on the coaching staff. We know that they're still listening They're still trying to get together. They're still being professionals. And that speaks well to what the coaching staff is doing. But the fact that we can't get the ball in the end zone and the fact that we keep having these mismanagement of time and situation, that falls strictly on head coach down to the the coordinators. And, And to me, that has to get cleaned up or else there needs to be serious consideration about who's leading this team next year.
0: All right, then final question. What is the X factor here that nobody's talking about, but which has been a problem with this team that you would like to see cleaned up to help them get the success that they need?
1: I would say, I would say interior blitzing. For some reason, the the the, the, the Giants defense and Patrick Graham have forgotten that you can blitz people through A and B gaps. And so it doesn't always just have to be defensive lining in these A and B gaps and the pressure coming from the edge. I would love to see more pressure coming from the middle B gaps to the A gap from second and third level guys, whether that's a safety coming up and firing through a gap or whether that's a linebacker firing through a gap. I think that's something that can really change the dynamics because when those guys come firing through an A gap or a B gap. Gap clean, and it forces that quarterback to flush left or right. We know that they have the ed- the edge rush talent that they're going to corral that guy. And so, I'd love to see that be more uh, uh, employed on the defensive side. On offense, on offense, you've got to have more legitimate quick game and screen game action. Get the ball into these playmakers' hands right now and let them work. And I don't know why you're throwing screen passes to to fullbacks who have no wiggle and no explosion. Like, let those guys block. If you want to have a fullback on your roster, let them come out there and block. There's no reason to be throwing screen passes to to those guys unless they are going to be wide open because you fooled everybody. And they're not fooling people. So get the ball into the hands of the playmakers. Allow them to do the work. I think that, that helps to unleash everything that comes with the um with with the game, including getting that defense to kind of space out a little bit and allow those running lanes to be a little bit wider for for the running back and for quarterback Daniel Jones.
0: Great stuff, Gene, as always. Folks, you can find him on Giants Country. He's got a couple new pieces coming out, as well as some pieces he's put out already. You can find him on The Athletic. And a matter of fact, I'm going to put all the places you can find him, including on YouTube, here in the show notes. So make sure you check him out, Gene. Awesome stuff. Appreciate the time. Folks, make sure you tune in tomorrow. We have our Twitter Thursday instead of a crossover show since we are on a bye week. So get your questions into me. Again, the address is in the show notes. For Jean Clemens, I am Patricia Trainer. Thank
1: you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you tomorrow.